year, one of my friends teaching a retreat at the end saying, you know, we think about what we're getting, but we really don't get anything. In fact, this is the dump. We're leaving things behind, you know. This is the dump. And I realize it's that way with sittings, and it's that way with really all of spiritual practice, that sometimes we have this mindset of becoming different or achieving something. And really the, the essence of, of practice is this kind of There's a kind of simplicity, nothing to gain. The Buddha described suffering in a simple way. Really, it's this chronic experience of wanting life different. That in some way, this moment is not okay. And for many of us, it gets quickly translated into who I is not okay. That's one of the reasons that when I do the metta meditation and offer phrases to myself, one of the most powerful phrases I can ever offer is, may I accept myself just as I am. If I'm really honest, it's not that frequent that I'm kind of unconditionally accepting my being just as I am. I usually have some sort of a subliminal gripe and it has to hit threshold before I'm aware of being down on myself. But being completely accepting is a very free, free place. This tendency we have to armor ourselves and to not accept our inner life and the world around us is very biological. It's not like we're aberrant beings. I mean, all, all life forms in some way are detecting threats and having sensors out for what can go wrong and putting up their defenses. And we do that, and we do it towards our inner life too. What can go wrong and how I'm going to act today or tomorrow or how others will think of me. So we, do, we anticipate and it's so many of you know, like that telegram sent by a Jewish mom to her son, start worrying, details to follow, you know? It's like we're all ready for what's going to happen, primed. When we start investigating, the main way that we get ready is we have these stories about how it all is. And these stories are like this topographical map And on the map, the main features are where there's going to be trouble, unpleasantness, and where there's going to be pleasantness, our kind of feeding stations where we're going to get goodies. And as you know, we use these maps to kind of move towards where pleasure is and and avoid what seems to be unpleasant. In avoiding what's unpleasant, this is what I call the armoring, we're really kind of defending against life. And when we've identified on our map somebody who's a source of unpleasantness, we can hold them out of our hearts for a lifetime. The armor can get that thick. It's amazing how long a grudge can 
can hold when we've detected that somebody is in some way a source of unpleasantness. And as you know, with ethnic wars, it can go through generations because there's these stories saying this type of person is a source of unpleasantness. And similarly, when we identify a part of our inner life as a source of unpleasantness, we hold a grudge against ourselves. And for some people, many of us, there are areas of our inner being that are really unforgiven, that it's just very difficult to begin to even take that metaphrase and soften. May I accept myself just as I am. We reject the shadow, and it's very much in our culture. You know, I was fascinated with the story in the Old Testament, which I actually learned through my son when he was in third grade, that described how um, in heaven there was one angel who was really kind of a bad guy, a very imperfect angel. That was Lucifer, of course. And he was a threat to God. He was kind of arrogant and always saying in some way he should be the one, number one. And so finally, um, God had his main guy, Michael, the good angel, kick out Lucifer. And this is, this is kind of the basic theme of the Old Testament, that Lucifer got kicked out, and he got kicked out screaming and wailing and shrieking and kind of left heaven flailing around. Um, and it created a rip in the fabric of heaven that could never mend. And in the instant that Lucifer was kicked out, that created heaven and hell and good and bad and an ongoing kind of strife. And it's a beautiful kind of metaphor for what we do in our own psyches, that there's parts of our being that we kick out in some way. And, and it's great, great suffering to hold the, the defense against those parts of ourselves. And it keeps us contracted and in fear. So part of any spiritual path, part of any path to becoming whole and free and living fully, really involves letting go of that armoring against these parts of ourselves in the world letting go of the resistances that are driven by our stories that say, this is bad and this is good, this is pleasant and this is unpleasant. And what I'd like to do this week and next week is explore that kind of letting go of our armor in terms of both forgiving ourselves, where we haven't yet forgiven ourselves, and forgiving others. And, and so this week will be more directed towards our inner life and next week towards um, beings in our life that we might be in some way still pushing out of our heart. Ramana Maharshi said, really, the whole path is about not excluding anyone, pushing anyone out of our hearts. So we'll begin with a little story. Sit back because it's fairy tale time. <laughs> this is a Scandinavian tale about Princess R and the serpent. The princess's parents had fallen on hard times, kind of a dicey financial trouble. And so they wanted to raise some money from the dragon's hoard. 
and that's just the way people, when they got in trouble, they went to the dragon. And he then asked a small thing in return, their daughter. <laughs> so you've, you've heard these stories before. So they went to the princess and said, well, dear, we've decided on um, the proper betrothal for you, and you're going to be married to the dragon. And uh, she was a resourceful princess, so she didn't right away freak out. And although she was frightened and tearful, she went immediately to the village wise woman. And this woman lived on the edge of the marketplace, and she found her surrounded by a dozen or so children and grandchildren, and she poured out her story, took her aside, I think. And the wise woman said, well, do you want to marry the dragon? She said, absolutely not. Well, I think there's a way you can do it and still be safe. And here's what you have to do on your wedding night. And she said, the first thing you have to do is get a number of wedding gowns, ten in fact. And then she went on to whisper for a while in the princess's ear. And then she sent her home. So the wedding day came. And all the people came to court. And it was a big celebration, and it was a little tough, but it finally was over, and, and the princess and the dragon retired to the bridal chambers. And the dragon turned to the princess and said, Well, isn't it time to consummate our wedding? And she responded, Yes, my dear husband, but for me to do so, I must remove my wedding gowns. Is that not so? Absolutely, my dear, joyfully. She said, and then I would have a small favor from you in return. Since I must remove my gowns to be pleasing to you, would you not remove a layer of your own so you could be pleasing to me? So she took off a wedding gown, and he had worn a few decorative things on his dragon body, so he took them off. Fine. But to his surprise, he noticed that she had another wedding gown on, the second of ten. She took that one off. And dragons are used to taking off their scales, like reptiles have to shed once in a while. So he picked off a thin layer. He said, yes, dear. Whoops, she had another. And as she took off each layer of wedding gowns, four, five, six, the dragon's claws had to dig deeper and deeper into his own flesh and skin to peel off yet another layer. And on the eighth wedding gown she took off, the dragon was down to taking off parts of himself that were stuck, and his form began to change. And on the ninth, it changed more remarkably. And when she took off the tenth gown, by that time the dragon had pulled off so much dragonness that what was left, as is often true in these stories, was a handsome prince. <laughs> you knew it, right? <laughs> And then she took the advice of the old woman from far beyond the marketplace that had a dozen children and a dozen grandchildren and continued a night of wedded bliss. So this is the practice of meditation. We're not taking on anything. It's really feeling the layers of our being opening hour by hour, day by day, just kind of letting go and opening. So what becomes revealed is an underlying beauty that's always been there. It's there right now. It's 
a very boundless, loving, wakeful awareness. But we forget because the scales of kind of tightening and defending, of pushing away parts of ourselves, keep us from knowing. So our practice is a lot to begin to recognize that armor. And for most of us that means becoming more awake to the subtle and not-so-subtle ways that we push away our inner life. Any form of self-blame is armor. Any form of self-blame. And it's interesting to look at how it arises. Self-blame can arise when we're simply feeling pain in our body. There can be a pain, and then we'll attribute it to something, a self that either deserve it, or hasn't taken care of oneself properly. If somebody rejects us, we can be victimized. And again, it gets attributed to a self that deserved it, that doesn't know how to really connect with others. Fear can come up. It gets attributed to something's wrong with me, I'm deficient, I shouldn't be afraid. The biggest ways that we lock into self-blame, the places where we're least forgiving are when we've caused pain to others. Now, the truth is, all of us have caused pain to other beings, and all of us have caused pain to our own being. And yet, it's very hard to forgive it. I'm sure every one of you knows about that, that in some way, the deepest sense of bad person, unworthy person, arises when we feel that we've neglected or abused or in some way not come through for other beings. So here we are talking about self-forgiveness, how to let go of that. And it's interesting what happens when we even begin to approach the areas where we have a deeply held grudge against ourselves. It's very hard to say, all right, I'll accept that I'm angry and my anger hurts someone. Or I'll accept that I'm greedy and needy and my greediness and my neediness ends up overriding another person's greed or needs. Or I'll accept that I'm insecure even though it causes me trouble and it ruins my love life and so on and so on. It's very hard to accept the basic qualities that cause pain. It's very hard to do what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross kind of prescribed, you know, which says, I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and it's okay. You know, she said that. It's not so easy. Take a moment, if you will, because part of tonight we will be doing a guided reflection on forgiveness, to check in to a part of yourself that is difficult to accept. A part that feels unacceptable, that's difficult to forgive. It might be some behavior that seems out of control, an addictive behavior. It might be a behavior that's hurtful to others. It might be an emotion that causes you pain. 
and as with all guided reflections, to the degree you can, just get in touch with that unacceptable place. And imagine that you were to forgive this. Imagine trying to forgive what's unacceptable. And very honestly sense, what stops you? What stops you from this moment really deeply forgiving? This is an important reflection. One teacher describes it that we all think forgiveness is a good idea until there's something real to forgive. You can open your eyes when you'd like and and I'd very much invite just a few sharings on what you noticed stopped you. What makes it difficult to just accept these shadow parts of ourselves? Anyone? Raise your hand and just say out a few words. We'll hear from a few people. What's difficult? Why don't we just forgive? Let it go. Yeah. You don't have to say content, by the way. In fact, you can leave content out. Just what makes it hard to forgive anything? And what would happen if you forgave yourself? What would be the worst thing that would happen? That would be the worst thing that would happen. I agree with you. And so it's, it's just something, Monica, to keep looking into, which is if we intuit freedom that comes out of letting go, what stops us? Anyone? Yeah. Shame stops you because you'd have to feel shame. You're ashamed. So because you're ashamed, you can't let it go. It doesn't feel as if you can, yeah. The fear of what might result if you forgave yourself. What kind of things result if we forgive ourselves? Can, if you can speak generally or... Uh huh. So fear of the unknown, because part of who we are is this person that hasn't forgiven parts of ourselves. So who would we be if we really forgave ourselves? So could everyone hear Skip? This is a big one. If we forgive ourselves, that wild beast we've been controlling will go crazy because we'll no longer be trying to constrain it. Is that what you meant? Sort of, yeah. 
Yeah, please. So believing that suffering's appropriate, that in some way it's deserved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by forgiving that you would lose the very learning that you need to get. So there's a sense that if we keep on blaming ourselves and judging ourselves, we might learn something. Is that true? Okay, I'm just checking. Yeah. That it, let's say you have a deep valuing of honoring life, and let's say you have will go to the worst possible in some way taken a life, then to forgive is a violation of that value. Okay. Yeah. You're going to have to keep doing what? So there's a sense that if, if you start forgiving, it's just an endless process. You have to keep on forgiving it because you'll still have the pain of what was wrong left to forgive. Okay. This is great. Others? Yeah. So if your identity is, I'm bad. Your whole identity is wrapped around on bad. To forgive yourself means that you no longer know who you are. You've dissolved. Thank you. There's a lot. This is, this is, um, it gives you a very strong sense on how deep the forces are that have us hold our blame in place. It's really, really amazing. I used to sometimes uh, teach a, a weekend workshop on forgiving, and I realized, you know, forgiveness is a life process, not a weekend process, although we can talk about it, because it's as deep as the entire spiritual path, our whole sense of self, good self, bad self, is wrapped up in it, and to begin to loosen the grip of how we're blaming ourselves is to change our whole sense of who we are. And we risk, we have these stories that the only way we'll grow is if we punish ourselves, which is, of course, very big in this culture. And we have a prison system that assumes that if we can punish people, then they'll change and get better, or maybe not even do it. We know, we know from our intuitive and highest selves it doesn't work, but we're very programmed to, to feel that, that punishment might keep us in line in some way or to feel that if we don't hold things over our head, that we can't trust that our nature will, will honor life. Forgiving is a really radical thing. And you, there's some beautiful 
descriptions of what would make it so hard. There's one from deep thoughts. The first thing was, I learned to forgive myself. Then I told myself, go ahead and do whatever you want. It's okay by me. (laughs) But that's the fear, that it's a giving permission to really come from the place in ourselves that we most mistrust, our hate, our greed. So we try to use self-blame to control things, to maybe extract a lesson, to make sure we don't do more, to really, in some way, keep us from the source of the pain. Because if you've noticed, if we begin to move towards forgiveness, we have to actually refeel the pain. Did any of you notice that when you started exploring? You start edging to where the fire is. In a way, blaming ourselves protects us from the actual pain of the experience. It protects us and it keeps us contracted. When we blame ourselves, there is a tightness in the heart, a tightness in the body, and a tightness in the mind. As Joko Beck describes it, our failure to know joy is a direct reflection of our inability to forgive push away any part of our inner life, we're in contraction. We've pushed out Lucifer, and there's no sense of wholeness, there's no way to heal, to work with what's there. When we imagine a being we love that's small, that does something behaviorally, that causes trouble, we would never think that the way to heal and teach and give lessons is to punish and condemn. We know that. And yet that's the training of our culture and for many of us, our parenting. Many know Carl Rogers' is probably most favorite mantra. Only when I accepted myself fully was I able to transform. That the very places in our being that cause pain can awaken, can transform, but not from punishment. It just doesn't work. What we consider unacceptable within us and around us is the boundary to our freedom. To the extent that there's an unacceptable domain, that's the extent to which we're unfree. And I love the way Chogyam Trungpa puts it. He says, our path is really to meet that edge again and again. Every day, every hour, we we hit an edge of what feels not okay. In some way it's unpleasant and it has to do with what might not be okay within us. And our path is to soften the armor when we hit that edge, not to reinforce it. So let's look at how. How do we soften rather than continue to build the case against our inner life? start from something that I find is really practical on a daily level. It's kind of like we're fish swimming in water when it comes to blaming ourselves. It happens all the time in all sorts of small and large ways. So it's really a beautiful part of practice to in some way do a sweep where there's just a, okay, where's the tightness? Where's the contraction? How am I holding against myself? 
I find that if I'm in a kind of bad mood, a grumpy mood, a depressed mood, any mood that's really unpleasant, and if I look and investigate, in some way I feel like I've done something wrong. There is some level of self-blame. And it's amazing that when you can see it, when you can even name that you're holding against yourself for how you spoke to somebody or how you acted or whatever, just by recognizing it, it doesn't keep carrying its charge. Now this is what's been described as naming what's true, and in that naming and recognition there's a letting go. This isn't for the big heavy ones, by the way. This isn't the blame we have for how we abuse somebody in a big time way. This is the little things that we can begin to just pop and dissolve so they don't build up. So we don't swim in this invisible water and get more and more of that kind of grimness that comes when we just feel like we're not a good person, not liking ourselves. That includes forgiving the sensations in our body that come up. It's so interesting to me. I was at a retreat some years ago and we were talking about forgiveness and I started this little practice within myself of whenever there was unpleasantness in my perceptual field, my sensations, sounds, whatever, I would just say, I forgive this, I forgive this. And it was just a little kind of um, an exploration to see what would happen when I used that language. And it was really interesting because it set up this environment of allowing and letting go. And it was a kind of fun game because it made me realize how without doing that, my conditioning was to kind of tense against experience, to armor. So sitting there, I forgive this, you know, pain in my knee. I forgive this teacher who's droning on and on in a Dharma talk. Or I forgive the person who's coughing right next to me. Or I forgive the person that's lifting the window and letting in a cold breeze. And I forgive these thoughts that are obsessive. Forgiving, forgiving. And there's something really powerful about noticing the slight contraction against life and letting go and letting go and letting go. I do forgiveness scans at the end of most every day, just kind of checking in and seeing what I'm holding against myself. It helps to name what we're holding against ourselves, kind of self-blame to others. Just acknowledging our shadow, there's a real power to it. It makes it less personal. You know, when we can name what we think is wrong, just by putting it out there, we're not so identified with it. Robert Johnson describes this. He says, the night before their marriage, they held a ritual where they made their shadow vows. The groom said, I will give you an identity and make the world see you as an extension of myself. The bride replied, I will be compliant and sweet, but underneath I will have the real control. If anything goes wrong, I will take your money and your house. (laughs) Then they drank champagne and laughed heartily at their foibles, knowing that in the course of the marriage, these shadow figures would inevitably come out. They were ahead of the game because they had recognized the shadow and unmasked it. I just think that's delightful, because it's so true. We all have greed, and we all have anger, and we all have these shadow dynamics, but they don't have to run our lives if within our own being and with each other we can have the perspective and the honesty and the humor to just kind of 
put it out there. This cartoon has a couple at a video store, and you can see they've just come to a strange agreement. And he's asking the woman behind the counter, do you have anything where the hero talks about his feelings while he's blowing stuff up? (laughs) 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 It's a great idea. (laughs) So there's the kind of daily practice of forgiving, of letting go, of sensing when we're tightening against ourselves and just let go, let go, forgiven, forgiven, naming it to each other. And then there's what we might call deep forgiving. This is the life kind of forgiving where we're gradually letting go of the deepest resistances to who we are, to our fears about who we are. And as I mentioned, there's a lot of tenacity towards holding on to our blame. There's a lot of fear. There's the fear that we'll never get better if we stop judging ourselves. I think everyone knows that one. If I just stop judging, I'll never improve. And then there's the fear that if we let go of our armor, we'll have to feel the full blast of what's wrong, the deep unpleasantness of it. One of my areas where I, what I call this kind of deep forgiving has been around parenting for the last 13 years and, and counting. <laughs> and it's actually given me the most understanding about forgiveness of anything, self-forgiveness of anything I could encounter because um, I have never been exposed to how much I could turn on myself for not doing well by another, as in mothering. And I think probably on a relative scale I'm fine, but that doesn't make a difference. You know, just the awareness that I am often so distracted and not present, or that I get so controlling and reactive and annoyed, I carry annoyance around, annoyed, annoyed, annoyed. It's very hard to, at the end of a day, and I see my son sweetly sleeping, and think, oh God, I was just so wrapped up today and not really tender and present to forgive another day. And these days go fast, you know, we parents know it well. So it's been one of my most um, important practices, finding a way to come to peace and accept myself for being an imperfect mom. And what I generally, the way I work with it, and I'll share because I think it's really the process of forgiveness that we're talking about, is that I'll sense where I've been imperfect. Let's say I've been really controlling and annoyed. And And I'll then just try to sit with that feeling of, okay, controlling, angry, aversive. And I'll kind of investigate what is really asking for attention under this behavior. What's the deeper fear or want? And what I'll always land on is that there's a fear that if I don't control things, my son won't end up being a happy person. You know, he won't turn out right, and then I won't be happy. And so there's this twisted neurotic thing, but deep down it's the wanting for his happiness. Or there's this, the greed of wanting to be able to feel relieved like I know everything's okay. You know, it's not all so high and altruistic, but it's a lot more acceptable than just considering myself as this nuisance of a mother that's, 
you know, constantly heavy-handed with my son. So to pause and drop into what's the deeper energy that drives the behavior that we reject. What is the deeper fear or wanting that's there? And if we go deep enough, and if I go deep enough in this one, what I'll come down to is there's love there, but it's contorted by fear. Now love contorted by fear is something we can get our arms around. Do you know what I mean? It's very hard when we take the behavior in isolation. So much of practice is being able to relax, open our perspective, and touch what's fully there. Because if we see the big picture, we can embrace it. If it's just controlling angry mother, it's unacceptable. Longfellow writes, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. Well, it's the same thing with our inner life. If we can see the secret suffering behind our shadow behaviors, if we can see the vulnerability that goes behind what we've rejected, our hearts become more tender. And this is the power of mindfulness, that rather than just locking into something's bad, got to blame, if I don't blame, I'll only get worse, we stop and we really open to, well, what's so bad? Who am I? Who is underneath those dragon scales? If we let go of the resistance, who do we find down there? So much of practice is how we relate to imperfection. If we're identified with the imperfection, we'll just be in reactivity. If we can recognize the conditions, the imperfection, but also see the being who's vulnerable and who deep down loves and wants to live fully, there's room. There's room for what's there. Then what enlightened moments are are not perfect moments, but they're moments where our hearts are open and awake and we can behold the imperfection with great compassion. We can be, as Zen Master Dogen said, without anxiety about imperfection. This is the trust that lets us forgive. It's okay to be imperfect. What I'd like to do is um, actually explore this more experientially. So if you'll just stretch your legs out for a moment, we'll do that. Yeah, and just come sitting down and take a few full breaths and let yourself feel relaxed and present. This is just to continue the inquiry we started before to bring to mind an area where you'd like to maybe soften the armor against yourself. An area that has been feeling very unforgiven 
that's been unacceptable. Some area that you perceive your being as deficient, your behavior as hurtful maybe. And take a moment to sense the feeling of something wrong and the judgment that reacts to it. Just to acknowledge what the pattern's been. And then just allow yourself to connect with the place, the source of the imperfection, the place that the unacceptable behavior comes from, the part of you that feels wrong. And just ask that part, feel into that part and sense what is its intent? If it's a part that generates judgments, what's generating that? What fear, what wanting? If it's anger, lashing out, addictive behavior, what are you deeply wanting or fearing? See if you can open to and feel into the vulnerability that's behind the imperfectness. The being who's afraid, the being that wants more. If you let go of the scales, the dragon scales of blaming and armoring, what's the vulnerability in there? What's really the energy of that shadowy self? And as you inquire, letting the breath support you, just breathing in and letting yourself connect with the realness of who's in there the realness of the vulnerability, breathing in. And you can breathe out and just offer space and care. This tonglen, this compassion practice, is really at the heart of forgiving. We feel what's true. Not to blame it, just feel it. Not to push it away. Just let it be and feel it kindly, breathing in feeling the wanting, fearing self, the vulnerability, breathing out, forgiveness and care.
Sensing the suffering of the parts of our being that have been pushed away. Offering care. And then opening the awareness to sense that you're sitting with a large group of beings all having in a similar way places within that are difficult, that have been avoided, pushed away, covered with armor. So that as you breathe in and out now, you breathe in and out for the vulnerability that we each feel. Breathing in for that, breathing out and just sensing the space of compassion and forgiveness. Freeing, helping to release the armor. Forgiven, forgiven. Checking back in on your own being, the content that you were reflecting on, what you've been pushing away, not accepting. Sensing if there's a bit more room or tenderness. And if there's not, sensing that willingness or intention to forgive to embrace and bring compassion to the rejected parts within. And we'll close with the sound current of ah. It's the sound current of the heart, letting the sound come from the place of care, letting it be received as a soothing, embracing balm to the heart. We'll just chant it continuously, and please feel free to harmonize. Inhale.
May all beings live in loving kindness. May all beings accept themselves as they are. May all beings awaken and be free. So thank you for participating. And um, just to encourage you, if you, especially if this is something that, that touches a place in you, to let it be a part of practice. You really can explore it, this touching in and letting go and opening to what's been pushed away. And it can be quite freeing and transformative. And as I mentioned, next week we'll expand it to include forgiving others and then there'll be a chance for sharing because there's so many questions and challenges to how to include people in our hearts but still have boundaries and be smart and wise. So we will talk about that. Now, as many of you know, tonight we'll be stopped a little bit early and it took a lot of discipline, <laughs> but we did. And um, so we'll, we'll be staying around for those that like, and we have some potluck sharings, and um, there's a, a few people brought in some books and tapes, and if those are, you'd like to be part of that exchange, you're very welcome. Um, before we break, I just want to do a bit of station identification if there's any announcements. I'm not sure. Peggy? What's that? Oh, if anybody um, wants tonight's talk or from past, some past weeks, just to Peggy's right here and she takes the orders week by week. And I'm wondering, is it also possible to order tapes from the retreat? Yeah? Um, at the retreat, there, the Saturday night talk, um, Sharon Salzberg gave a really wonderful talk on the difficult forces, and that's something that is available, and I gave a talk on love and fear, and a talk on devotion, and one other. So those are tapes you can get. Should they talk to you, John, or Peggy? Peggy will do that also. Oh, and the tape is also available from the um, Sharon's IMCW benefit talk. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.